Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels, a podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont, and I've been seeing things differently in the wealth field for going on nearly 15 years. And today we have a fantastic guest, Susan Fowler. Susan, how are you today? You know, I couldn't be better, to be honest. Well, I love hearing that. (laughs) That is a great answer. Well, I get to talk to you, and you're interested, and you're listening, and it's about something I love talking about, so it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't. And you know, I think we have something in common, because this is the Thinking Differently podcast, and today I'm talking with you, Susan. You're Susan Fowler, by the way, a researcher, author, keynote, and co-founder of Out of the Box Thinking which, hey, you know, that doesn't get much more wealth tactic rebel than that. So. That's right. <laughs> and today we're talking about optimally money motivated or not. And I want you to say that five times. Optimally money motivated. No, not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> optimally money motivated or not. I got it once. <laughs> That's amazing. Amazing. Anyway, so Susan, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our listeners today, before we get into things, a little bit about where you came from and what inspired you to get to where you are today. Well, I have a motto, Kevin, that is, I teach what I most need to learn. Mm. And about almost 40 years ago, I watched a documentary on television about the way we treat the animals that we eat. And overnight, I became a vegetarian. And I mean, I was a girl that had pork fat sitting on her stove because everything tasted better (laughs) if you would add a little pork fat to it. (laughs) So, I mean, literally overnight, stopped eating all kinds of meat, fish, everything. And it was... You know, people were like, wow, you're so disciplined. You've got so much willpower. And I realized it hadn't required any discipline. I didn't have to use any type of Mm -hmm. willpower. And that really intrigued me because there were a lot of other things in my life I was trying to do that I couldn't seem to master. Mm -hmm. So I was really curious, what was it that happened there? And that started my quest for understanding the motivation behind what we do, what we don't do, what we do that we wish we didn't. And I, 25 years ago, found a body of science that is so compelling and for 25 years been part of that academic community. So I've actually engaged in primary research and I published in academic journals, published pieces that I've delivered at these conferences. But more than anything, I've learned from thousands of scientists all over the world and academicians who have dedicated their lives to understanding the true nature of our motivation. And let me just say one other thing. It takes 40 to 60 years for that kind of research to make it into mainstream use. And so I've been trying to get to the other side of complexity and the last two books that I've written, I think, have really helped do that, to coalesce the science and to make it usable for people. So that's my journey, and that's what I'm so excited wow. about because it's transformed my life, and I think it can transform others. I agree. That's fantastic. I'm glad someone's out there really thinking about this, scientifically speaking, because to me, that's thinking differently right there. You know. Well, it is. And you know, people say, oh, you're a motivational speaker. And I have to correct them. And I say, well, I hope that what I might say inspires people, but I am not a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. I'm a researcher and a writer and a speaker who talks on the subject of motivation science right. and how to use it, That's which I think is different. No, you, I agree, because there's a lot of motivational speakers out there today, you know, whether it's Tony right. Robbins or whoever you're listening to. And 
while they have a base of knowledge from experience and maybe they have some books with some scientific view, but I think a lot of what they talk about is more, it's almost like non-conceptual, you know, not, it's more yeah. conceptual than it is something that's like a written way of doing or, things. Or it's, it's their person, and I wouldn't say this necessarily about Tony, but a lot of the motivational speakers that I hear, they're talking about their own experience True. and trying to inspire people through their own experience right, right. in a way that, that resonates with other people. Right. But what they fail to do, what they don't have is a foundational framework right. or some kind of understanding of a motivation model that people can then use to shift to their own motivation. Yeah. But then again, you know, okay. So let's talk about the scientific meaning of this because you're saying okay. that, you know, some of them have a model, but it's something that they kind of just came up with over their experience. Exactly. Which is not necessarily scientific. Exactly. It might be right. factual sort of, but not scientific. So what are we talking about scientific here? Yeah. So when I say scientific, what I mean is empirically proven. So let me just give you an example is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Almost everybody's heard of Maslow. It's the most popular motivation theory in the world. Right. It's never been empirically proven. In fact, Maslow would be rolling over in his grave if, if he knew, and he actually kind of knew this before he died, that the model that he came up with back in the 1940s was actually being used verbatim. And right. His whole intention was to get researchers to move off of what we call biological drives, because most motivational theories were based on drives, like we're driven to eat, we're driven to drink, and because our bodies are hungry or our bodies are thirsty. Right. And he knew that that was not a good model for motivation. So he wanted to shift it to psychological needs. So he just presented this hierarchy. The pyramid, he never came up with the pyramid. That was done by an advertising guy that thought that was interesting. So what happens is people latch on to theories or concepts without doing the investigative work to say, is there anything in this that's actually real or provable or empirical? Right. Okay. So in today's talk of awfully money motivated or not, is there a scientific way of looking at this? Absolutely. In fact, we've been a part of some major research around money and motivation just recently. And I forgot to ask you this. So if this is not kosher, let me know. But if people texted 66866 with the word articles, I would be glad to send them these academic articles mm -hmm. on money and motivation. Sure. So it's the empirical understanding so the question I would ask is, does money motivate people? And, of course, everyone's going to say yes, and that's true. It does. But there's two things we need to think about. One is, are there alternatives to being motivated by money that are more productive or healthier, that enable you to be more creative and innovative? And the answer to that is yes. Right. So yeah, if yeah. we can, rather than being money motivated, if we can shift our motivation away from the money to something else, then money becomes the byproduct. Money is what we end up with, but it wasn't what we were seeking. Right, and so right. the irony of motivation is that if you're results-focused, you're less likely to get the results that you want. Mm -hmm. If you're focused on the psychological needs that I'll share with you, then money, creativity, innovation, mm -hmm. all of these other things, productivity, are the result. And then the second thing I want to just say is that it's not just being motivated by something other than money, but you have to understand the reason that you are motivated by money, if right. that's your motivation. The right. reason is what matters. Right, right. And there's where you can scientifically, so to speak, map it out. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I find this interesting. I've noticed during the course of my life, too, here we go with experiences, but, you know, things that happen like 
people I've known that try to quit smoking or try to get in better shape. I mean, and I know these are cliche things, but this happens to people all the time. People are always trying to get in better yeah. shape. They're trying to quit smoking. There's things like that that are important and they know they're important. They know they need to do it. Same thing with trying to save money for retirement. It's like they try and they know they should do it and they want to do it. And they're so focused on that goal of, okay, I'm going to lose weight. You know, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to start saving for retirement. You know, where you said they don't know the reason. Exactly. And if I could give you, exactly. I'm sorry, before we go on, but one of my points with that was is that when people, what you're going to explain, I mean, I don't know the reasons behind it, but I realize that when people understand the deeper meaning behind it, there's no longer, like you were saying before, the willpower, having to will yourself to do it. It's just a switch that goes off and they just do it. And it's yeah. the easiest thing in the world. Thank you. That's exactly right, Kevin. And I can just give you a quick example with smoking. And I've had so many of my clients or people that have heard me speak or read my books share this similar type of experience. And they have this experience, but then they don't understand why it worked. And so they weren't able to use it in other areas of their life, like saving for retirement. So I write in my book about a guy named Raymond, who is a friend of mine in North Carolina. And he had grown up in the tobacco business. I mean, he almost felt guilty if he didn't smoke. (laughs) Because it was his family's business. (laughs) And, of course, the doctor told him he needed to stop because it was injuring his health. And so he had what we call imposed motivation. He felt like he had to. He was Mm -hmm. feeling every time he he picked up a cigarette, he felt guilt. He felt shame. But he kept doing it. So he went and he started taking all these classes, like to stop smoking. And he used a patch and he chewed gum. Then he'd get sick and, you know, because he kept smoking. And he was even taking a no-smoking class. And during the break, he went out for a smoke, you know. <laughs> so it wasn't working. So one day he's driving his car and he's smoking a cigarette and his little three-year-old daughter is in the back seat and she yells out at him, Daddy, will you please quit smoking? You're killing me back here. Mm. And you know the switch flipped and he put out his cigarette and he never smoked again. There you go. And what he's come to realize is that mm. he found something he loved more than the cigarette. Mm. He loved his daughter. He loved being a role model, a good role model for his daughter. He loved her health and well-being. And so that is really the skill of motivation. Mm. The skill of motivation is finding what you truly love what you value, what your sense of purpose is, what you find joy and peace through. And that's the end result you're looking for, not the means to that, which people Mm. think is money or, you know, instant gratification. So, you know, and I can explain to you in a moment how we've come to that empirically. Okay, sure. Let's go into the next part, because that's pretty much where I was going next was, you know, how can we look at this scientifically to see what our motivation is? Yeah, so let's just take your example of wanting to save money for retirement. You know you should. You feel like guilty when you go out and spend money frivolously or don't have a budget. So you know you should, but you're not doing it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about you or any of our listeners, but oh my God, Black Friday was horrible. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. Well, you know how it is. Like this year. What I noticed was that the sales online were not as good as the sales in the stores because I think the stores oh. are trying to get people into them. So when I went out there, I couldn't help it. I'm like, oh, my God, I got like so much of my shopping done. Was- well, I'm jealous because I did buy one thing on Black Friday and, and it was really cheaper. And then I thought, oh, I need another one of those. and went back. It was at full price again. I went, darn. You know, yeah, that, that really was a sale. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> darn. Anyway. But, but what the science shows is that if we do not satisfy or create in our lives three psychological needs, 
then not only will we not thrive, mm. we will not be healthy mentally or physically, but we also won't be able to sustain the energy necessary to continue pursuing whatever the goal is. Mm. So whether it's saving money or stopping smoking or, you know, the reason diets don't work is because they rarely help us create these three psychological needs. Right. The first psychological need is for choice. choice. We need to have a sense of choice. So as soon as you say, I have to save money, or, oh, I can't eat that muffin, you have just eroded your psychological need for choice. Right. So it was really important for us to recognize, I don't have to save money, but I'm choosing to save money. I don't have to lose weight, but I'm choosing to lose weight. Right. Now, that's fine. You can make that choice. But what really brings it home psychologically is the second psychological need, and that's for connection. connection. You've got to be doing something for a meaningful reason. So I'm choosing to save money because I really feel better when I am a responsible parent making a future for my children, yeah. or I'm choosing not to eat this muffin because I care so much about my body that I'm nourishing it instead, or I'm choosing to take one bite of this muffin and not eat the whole thing because I'm an athlete. The way I see myself as an athlete, and if I'm going to be the person I want to be, I wouldn't eat a whole muffin. Right. And so it's the connection that we make, either to ourselves, to people who are truly important in our lives, or because we're making a contribution to the greater good. Mm. So that's connection. And then the third thing that will really help us to sustain that motivation over time is called competence. And that means that we feel like we're growing, we're learning, we're seeing progress. So even though you might just save a portion of your paycheck, if you see the grow every month and you're noticing that progress, or if you are saying, wow, look at me, I have lost two pounds and here's what I've learned about that. You know, my husband went on a quote unquote diet. He started asking for red onions and I said, why are you asking for red onions in your omelet? And he said, because they have less calories. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Why do they have less calories? He goes, I don't know. I'm going to find that out. So he came home. And he was so excited. He goes, red onions have less sugar than white onions. And that's why they have less calories. You know, to this day, he will always eat red onions if he has a chance because he was excited about what he learned. So he was making a choice to lose weight. He was losing weight because he considers himself to be an athlete even at 78 years old. He wants to be congruent with the person he sees himself as. And he learns something through the process. So those three psychological needs are at the core of our ability to be optimally motivated, whether it's with money or anything else. Right, right. So we have choice, connection, and competence. And then exactly. when we can have those three things, when we understand that we have those three things, if people know that they need those three things when they're trying to make right. these major changes in their life, with losing weight, saving more, quitting smoking, they can consciously say, oh, I need to be able to have choice. I need to have a connection. What is my connection? I need to have competence. And then when they have that, that's going to help them with being optimally motivated. Exactly. Is actually what is optimal motivation. Optimal motivation means that we are creating choice, connection, and competence in our lives wow. in general and on a particular goal specifically. Okay. Excellent. Good to know. So now we have it defined. <laughs> so what would be some tips about identifying the types of emotion or motivation that people may have. 
Yeah, I think it's really important for us to be aware. The first step, the first action in really being optimally motivated is to identify the kind of motivation that you currently have. So being aware, being mindful of what your motivation is at any time. So I'm going into a meeting at noon today that is a really important meeting for me. And so I'm choosing to go into this meeting and I'm asking myself why is this so important to me and what do I hope to learn and how can I grow through this meeting? And so what we really need to do is to, to consciously identify the motivation we're going into it with and then how are we going to create the choice, connection, and competence that we need. Right. So what I'd like to do a little bit later is actually share the three questions that if you ask yourself will be what helps you to be optimally motivated. So th- uh, this is, you know, between you and me, this is the value bomb that I want to share. Okay. <laughs> we're ahead of the story a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So... You know, so I think it's a little bit about, going back a little bit there, I was just thinking about what you were saying. You and I were talking earlier about awareness, thinking outside the box, accepting it. Remember I, I was talking about, you know, if you got an idea that comes that's outside of your box, you can either forget about it, discard it, or get a bigger box. So that's the, I think, awareness. So would it be wrong in saying that that's where people need to start? Does they need to be open-minded and aware? Where people really need to start in order to be optimally money motivated right. is with the awareness of the type of motivation they currently have and the clues that they can look at. For example, if you feel pressure, if you feel any kind of stress around it mm-hmm. or tension, if you feel guilt or shame, any of those kinds of emotions are indicators of the type of motivation that you might have. Or if you say, you know what, I just don't care. I just, it's too overwhelming. So there's six different types of motivation. And One type is called disinterested, meaning you're so overwhelmed by the whole idea of managing money or you don't find any value in it that you just are disinterested. Another form of motivation is external. The only reason you're doing it is because you want more money. You're not even sure why you want more money, but you get a sense of power or status or it, it enhances your image or you want more toys than your friends because that gives you a sense of one upsmanship. So that's external motivation when you're doing it for the tangible or intangible rewards that money brings you. Or when you feel imposed, um, you're doing it, as I said, because you feel guilt or shame or pressure or tension or stress. But what we're trying to teach people, what my book, Master Your Motivation, is all about, is about how do you, after you've identified what type of motivation, and if it's Mm -hmm. suboptimal, like one of those three, disinterested, external, or imposed, how do you shift your motivation so that you can either be aligned, meaning you're saving money because you have values around saving money that you're very consciously aware of, or because you've gotten in touch with Um, what's called integrated motivation, Uh, by saving money, you're really being more congruent or more um, identified with the person you want to be or the person you think you are or should be. So it's, it's like your sense of deep purpose or joy. You know, it's kind of like Marie Kondo's, you know, if something sparks joy in you, then that's a good thing. And so, you know, just notice that maybe putting money away Like all of a sudden you go, wow, that was fun, or I enjoyed that. That was fabulous. Get in touch with that feeling. Yeah, what's exciting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you have to be careful. I'll be honest with you. You have to be careful about excitement because you could be excited Mm. that you bought a new boat and now your neighbor is jealous. Or I could be excited that I've got all this money and that means I have power and status that gets me into the upper echelon of society. Right. Right, right. So excitement, you also then need to dig and say, why am I excited? Right, And if the reasons are external and not noble 
or values-based, mm-hmm. then that's an issue. Ah, okay. So there has to be that distinction between a true joy that you're saying, something noble or value, versus... Yeah, when I say joy, because, hey, I really I do gotta, mean... You know, you're not meaning like, oh my God, I'm so excited, I finally got a better car than my neighbor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? You're meaning something, what are you saying, scientifically speaking? Yeah, that when we talk about joy, we're talking about something that actually gives us a sense of choice, connection, and competence. You know, it's it's interesting because people think that status is so important. Mm. It's only important in that it gives you a sense of momentary glee, so to speak, right, or excitement. Right, 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 right. But what it really does is it erodes your sense of connection to the greater good and to the whole. Mm, the only time sense. we feel true joy is when there's a deep-seated connection to um, to everything. You know, we're all connected. Mm. And anything like status that erodes that connection is not optimal. Mm. Makes sense. I can understand why, too, you know, just kind of thinking about this, where you do teaching. Yeah, teaching can bring, I think, definitely a sense of joy. Oh, good for you. Thank you. I taught all my siblings to read before they ever got to school. I've always loved teaching. So, yeah, it's it's called inherent motivation, and that's, you know, yeah, I'm inherently motivated to do what I do. But what's interesting is that an even higher or perhaps more sustainable form of motivation mm. is the integrated motivation. Mm. So when I say that my life credo is to be a catalyst for good mm. or that I want to teach what I most need to learn, that's really integrated motivation. It's something that's even deeper than just the pure enjoyment of it. Right, right. But correct me if I'm wrong, it could start from the joy and turn into integrated, correct? Well, yeah, let me... <laughs> or, you could, or you could figure um, it out. I mean, it could be yeah. like a... Well, let me just give you an example. Game. Like, There's a video game that I just love playing. <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm inherently motivated to do it. I don't know why I love doing it. It's just fun. Uh-huh. And when I do it, it's just fun. And I lose track of time. I get in the flow, and it's fun. Right. What gets me out of it is my integrated motivation that says, I have a greater purpose in life, and it's not playing this game. And so I am able to use my integrated motivation to do something more meaningful and deeply rooted in my psyche that pulls me away from the thing that is fun but not necessarily purposeful. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. As we'll go on to the next thing. Let's talk a little bit more now. People will be able to identify, you know, the types of motivation and what is optimally motivated? What's some tips when they figure this out? I'm not optimally motivated. What can I do to become more optimally motivated? Yeah, the key to optimal motivation mm-hmm. is creating choice, connection, and competence in your life so kind of um, or around yeah. the goal. Right. And one of the things that I'm doing in 2020, and I'm going to just announce it because sure. this is one of the ways that I make connection, <laughs> is I'm beginning an online certification process to help coaches and parents and teachers facilitate motivation conversations with people Mm -hmm. so that they can actually help people create the choice, connection, and competence necessary for optimal motivation. What my book, Master Your Motivation, does Mm -hmm. is it teaches you as an individual how to have that conversation with yourself. And so to really be able to say, what choices do I have right now? And you know, how is this meaningful and what am I going to learn from this? It's so powerful. Mm. I think also, Kevin, I think people really need to be aware of their fatal distractions. Fatal distractions are those shiny objects that take us away from our choice, connection, and competence. So if you're in sales, and you are going for the high ranking or the 
trip to the Bahamas or the incentive or the bonus that you've just been offered, realizing that those are actually fatal distractions that erode, and scientifically, this has been proven, those motives erode your sense of choice because you're doing it not because you're making a choice to do it, but because you feel like you have to have that ranking or you got to get that bonus or you got to get that trip. It also erodes your connection because it takes away a deeper, more meaningful reason for the selling that you're doing. Like you're being of service to a client, you're making a difference in someone's life, you're problem solving. You know, there's so many better reasons to be selling than the incentive, the bonus, the raise, the Mm -hmm. trip, the ranking. Makes sense to me. It really does. I know that, you know, over the years, some of the organizations I work for, they they did that. They would try to motivate people by having these awards. And I never cared, ever. Never meant a thing to me. Yet I was always performing well, you know? You know what? What we've found is that that's absolutely true. If you will interview your top, consistent top performers, they have figured out that incentives and bonuses are just gravy. It's not the reason they're doing what they're doing. And that's the whole thing with money is that money is the byproduct of other things that you're doing that are so much more meaningful. Yeah. Makes sense. I agree. So if for some reason you want to have more wealth in your life, which I think is a good thing. I've talked about this again for different reasons, you know, in, in other podcasts, I like the idea of having an abundance mindset towards wealth. Thank you. And, you know, and I think that for me, I want it not because I want to say, oh, look, I'm a millionaire or whatever that goal may be that someone has, right? I want it because I love my family. I want them to have a good life. I want to be able to share things with them. I want to be able to give them nice trips. I want to be able to make sure they're taking care of their sick. I want to do that going forward for the next generation. And I want to be able to expand past my family. I want to be able to help other people as well. And I know that the more that I have, the more I can give. So, Kevin, there's so much in what you just said, if, if I could just build on it just for a second. So many people say it's for my family, but then they realize, and I don't get this from you. I'm not saying it's about you. I'm just saying it's as a general topic is that oftentimes there's pressure like, Oh, I've got to make sure my kids are wearing the best jeans or they have the right sneakers or that they can go to the best schools. And so they use their family as an excuse. Right, right, right. And it's, pressure. And then they feel guilty if they can't deliver that. Mm, So it's mm. really important to get behind the fact that you might want to build wealth also because it's a measuring stick Mm. because of what you're doing well in other areas of your life. So, you know, great athletes, you know, I really study, you know, people like Michael Jordan and and Kobe Bryant and, you know, I can tell I'm into basketball, but, you know, others Mm, as well. mm. And Steph Curry, you know, when you really study these guys, The reason they are so good is because they might say it's about winning, Mm. but winning is just the byproduct. They're out there, you know, Tiger Woods, you know, they're out there practicing and changing their game. And it's about excellence. So their motivation is for excellence. And that's a value that they have. And that's who they become. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. It's something bigger than themselves and something bigger than winning or losing. And maybe I didn't explain what I was feeling correctly. No, I I wanted to make sure that... I had a process of the way I kind of started deriving how I felt about things. And it kind of started more personally, you know what I mean? And it's branched out to the fact that, you know, I realized I want to do more with my life. And I know that the more that I'm able to achieve, the more I'm able to do and the more I'm able to give to the world. You know, I want to make a difference in this world. 
to me, that's... Yeah, I wanted to really make sure that you knew that that comment wasn't about you, because yeah, yeah. I've talked to you enough. No. I've talked to you enough to know that. And I really appreciate, too, this idea that if you make more money, you can give more away. I have to tell you that my husband and I, yeah. that is our raison d'etre, yeah. Yeah. is to be able to give, because it feels so good it to does. give. It does. And maybe that's a selfish way of looking at it, but it works. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, there's no such a you know, we can get into that whole, is there such thing as altruism, you know, but altruism feels good. So isn't that, al- is that altruistic? I know, like, it's <laughs> yeah. like this, you could just talk in circles yeah. about it all day long if you yeah. want to get philosophical yeah. about it. But yeah. it's true. But I mean, like, that's what makes the world go around, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> so before we close for today, let's go on to our Wealth Ethic Rebel value bomb. So something, Susan, in your experience that our listeners should look to avoid and then what they can do about it. Yeah, I think what they can look to avoid are those fatal distractions. They can make sure that they are not enticed by what we call junk food motivation, which is are the things that we were talking about, incentives or raises or status or power, hmm. that take us away from our basic nature. And so if we can, instead of giving in to the enticements that are out there in our lives all the time, hmm. And instead, consistently ask ourselves three questions. And these questions are, and just imagine if you just did this throughout your day, what choices do I have? Mm -hmm. Or even what choices have I made and how did I feel about those choices and what choices do I have going forward? Secondly, what meaning did I derive from what I've done? How are my values aligned with what I'm doing? Mm. How do I make a connection with others through whatever it is I'm doing? And then thirdly, what did I learn? What am I learning? What could I learn? How could I grow through this process? So if we can just consistently ask ourselves about the choices we're making, the connections we're making, and the competence that we're gaining, it will literally shift the quality of your life experience. Mm -hmm. And when you target it on a goal, it will create or generate the positive, sustainable energy you need to pursue your goal and achieve it. Yep, I agree. I feel I keep sitting here thinking about everything you're saying and the wheels turning in my head, and I agree with you. I can see how that works. It all comes back to that same thing, the optimally money motivated, the, that approach of choice, connection, motivation. Or choice, connection, and competence. Competence, sorry. <laughs> choice, connection, competence. There we go. And so, you know, Susan's been fantastic talking to you today. I think we had a great discussion and a lots of very good information about choice, connection, and competence. And so I appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge today with our Wealth Ethic Rebel listeners. Thank you, Kevin. And forgive me if I stepped on you every once in a while. You were asking such good questions. I got too excited about answering. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's good. That's a good thing. I like that. Susan, before we go, is there anything you want to share with our listeners? Oh, you know what? I would love for people to go to www.susanfowler.com and take the free What's your MO, meaning what's your motivational outlook survey? It's free. And so if you have a goal like saving for retirement or, you know, any of your other financial goals, saving in order to buy a new home or whatever you want to do, you could use that as the goal and go through the series of questions and discover the first action we talked about identify your current motivational outlook, and then you'll receive a lot more information about what to do about it. Very good. And I will say I went there and played around with that myself. So it's, oh, it's yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, any of our listeners cool. listening, go and do it. It's fun. You know, thank you. Have a little Thank fun you. today. 
<laughs> there you go. Maybe learn something because learning is fun. Absolutely. And I'm going to put your information. You said there was a text. Oh, you mentioned yeah. Earlier. Yeah. Yeah, 66866, and the word articles. Okay, I'm going to put that on our show notes page along with your your contact information for your website and everything so people can go there and and do the MO. (laughs) Good, thank you. So go to wealthtacticrebels.com and look for today's episode with Susan Fowler about being optimally money-motivated or not. And that information will all be there. And Wealth Tactic Rebel listeners, if you would also do us a favor and drop us a quick line over on Facebook, send us a message. Let us know today, you know, we talked about three things, choice, connection, competence. Which one of these things rang out to you and said, aha, I get it now. Let us know which one worked for you. And again, Susan, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Same here, Kevin. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been a great discussion. Wealth Tactic Rebels, thank you for joining us today and listening in and have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. The information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.